because there are ups and downs in business. Some days are great, you have great months, and sometimes you have bad months, but you're still coming back with that belief as I can do this. And so having the confidence to do it, the belief in self to do it, to having support from other people, a spouse, having support from, because you can't, you can't do this life by yourself. Welcome to East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast, inspiring stories from local people and businesses you likely already know and trust. Here is your host, third-generation family business entrepreneur, Renee Oswald. Welcome back to another episode of East Idaho Entrepreneurs. Thank you for joining me to learn about business owners, entrepreneurs, and influencers in East Idaho. I learn from every interview, and what I love most is getting to know our business neighbors better. So I hope you're experiencing the same things as you listen. Today, I have a healthcare professional here who helps individuals navigate this crazy world that we're in. He's a published author and a podcast host. So welcome, Christopher Walton of Christopher L. Walton and Associates. Oh, thank you, Renee. I appreciate the opportunity to come on the show. Yeah, well, it's fun to have a fellow podcaster on here. So (laughs) you can critique me when we're done. Okay. (laughs) You'll be on my podcast. I'll be on your podcast. I like that. See, it's the scratch my back, scratch your back thing. I love it. Well, Christopher, thank you for being here. We need to know a little bit more about what your business is. What exactly is Christopher L. Walton and Associates? What's your professional training? And why am I talking to you today? What sets you apart? Um, I consider myself an entrepreneurial social worker, which for a lot of professional people, that is an oxymoron, so it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, but what that means to me is that I'm, I'm a, a mental health therapist who is here to help people dealing with their past problems, uh, which usually brings people into mental health and therapies based on things that are going on in the past. And our goal here is to be able to help people with those past problems, learn how to, learn, learn how to live in present and then learn how to innovate and create future. So it's not just about past or present, it's really about what are you gonna do in the future in order to make your life better. And I use a lot of um, business ideas in order to be able to create that outcome. So I I really focus on measurement of outcomes as opposed to kind of a basic emotional philosophy that keeps people kind of in therapy and keeps them stuck in their emotions for years. When I first came to town, I talked to one of my first clients, had been in therapy for over 30 years with the same therapist from the time she was in her late teenage years into her 50s. And, and it really was surprising to me that she had been doing that. But that is, that is a business plan from that therapist at that time with a belief that there's not enough work out there in the world in order to keep someone in their practice that long. My belief about things is that there's enough, there's a, the world has abundancy, that there is enough oxygen for everybody, right? Enough business for everybody. There's enough money for everybody. We just got to know how to access that, that where that money is at. Right. So as growth opposed mentality. To, yeah. The growth mm-hmm. mentality, right. As opposed to deprivation mentality. Yeah. And so that's usually what it takes with a lot of clients is to how to be able to help them go from a convoluted perspective of life that there's not going to be enough into an abundancy of life in order how to grow, to innovate and create their future as opposed to being focused so much on the past. Well, and as a business, there's enough of us out there that have needs that would come to see you that you would never run out of people. Well, that's that's exactly <laughs> right. Uh, and, and so it's not a matter of uh, uh, focusing on the 
there is the need out there, and I want to help people out as much as I can. Uh, but it's also about training people, so we have people in training in our practice to be able to learn how to continue motivating that. And, and a lot of the other therapists that work with me are really surprised when they come in here and, they, and I'm teaching them this growth mentality idea on how to innovate and create their lives to be what they want it to become, for them to become what they want to become, as opposed to kind of a cookie cutter therapist that is just focused on the past, looking at life in, in very narrow scope as opposed to a broad uh, innovative scope. So so tell me, is it typical, you are a LCSW, which means that you have your master's degree and then you did yes. two years of training to yes. get your license to right. practice independently. Mm -hmm. So is it typical for an LCSW to start their own practice? No, no. Most, most therapists don't end up being in private practice. I've been in private practice uh, nonstop for 30 years. Uh, since the very, very beginning. Uh, when I was, I went to the University of Texas. And um, there, the, the University of Texas in Arlington, in between Dallas and Fort Worth, at that particular school, um, they were really promoting a lot of community mental health. So your job as a therapist was to go out and to work in the community for like health and welfare or something like that. Um, and I wrote papers on being in private practice. I wrote papers. And, and you didn't fit in didn't because they wanted in. you in the community being, <laughs> yeah. yes, the, yeah. the, there is definitely a stigma in the social yeah. worker world that you need to be a quote unquote bleeding heart helping yeah. the whole world. Yeah. You're not going to find that here. I'm not a bleeding heart. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of prickly. Yeah. And I, and that You're going to tell it like it is. I'm huh? going to say it's very straightforward, very upfront. And, and, there, and the reason why is because I really believe in people. I believe in people really overcoming their problems and not being stuck in the past and in order to be able to create the best future possible. Because the future is available for us if we have skills and techniques and can think things about things rationally, learning how to let go of the past in order to innovate and create ourselves in the present future. If we learn that technique, guess what? Anger, anxiety, and depression become less, yeah. less prevalent in our lives and innovation, fun, and fascination of the future, okay, triple Fs, <laughs> fun, fascination, future, <laughs> okay. is by far more interesting. And that's, that's where I live. I try and live in fun, fascinating future as opposed to living in the past because the past has a tendency just to drag us down and, not, and doesn't help us to be able to move forward. Most people nowadays live in present past. And that's why we have such high prevalences of anger, anxiety, depression, suicidality, you know, complications, measurement of personal value based on the number of likes that we get off our Facebook page, Instagram, or whatever. You know, as opposed to having uh, a true belief inside of self to do to create that innovation and creation of who we want to be, as opposed to what other people want so, from us. So, why do you think you went down the social work trail rather than the therapist trail? Like, because they're two different paths. Well, they're the same path. The becoming a social worker. So, um, I got my bachelor's degree in social work. I got my master's degree in social work. And then I worked for a place called Cook Children's Medical Center in Fort Worth, Texas, inpatient uh, pediatric psychiatry for five years. Um, and I got in trouble from one of my professors who said you should not be, you can't be working for a private, non-profit or private for-profit anything, <laughs> yeah. right? Because it's all about making money right, and right. helping people out as opposed to community-based. I mean, I had to make an appeal to the dean in order to stay in the program, actually. It was kind of crazy. Uh, but anyway. Again, I, you didn't quite fit. I didn't fit. I yeah. didn't fit because mm -hmm. because I'm I'm a I'm I'm an entrepreneur. 
I'm, I want to, uh, I live my life in, in the entrepreneurial business perspective with, with uh, business ideas mixed with therapy ideas. And, and so where do you think that came from? Did fun. you come from an entrepreneurial family? Um, no, oddly enough, uh, sort of. Uh, my, my mom was an LCSW and she taught at the University of Utah and was in private practice my whole life. So you and saw that model. She is like uh, who's who in women from the world and whatever. And wow. had done a lot of, she was a big feminist, uh, card-carrying feminist back in the 70s, 60s and 70s, which was radically different. It's more of what we consider a moderate in 2020 and, and not so radical leftist, uh, what, they, what a lot of feminists are now. Uh, but, but that's not here or there. But the, but the thing is, is that there was, she was always innovating in her practice and how she did it. My dad was a CPA um, and rather conservative, and so um, and I, I didn't really kind of fit in either camp, and so I was kind of a, um, um, an inventor when I was a kid. So behind me on the wall over here is a candy pen. I came up with that when I was 15 years old, being bored. Well, 14. I was bored in my uh, science class, um, and so I saw a kid chewing on a purple pencil and I thought oh I'd like to invent that and it was at the end of my uh, uh, freshman year of high school and my dad said well that looks like a good idea why don't you go to the University of Utah and do a patent search on that and see if you can come up with anything so I did I went to the University of Utah and squirreling around on microfish this is back in 78 79 a few days ago uh -huh. <laughs> you know it's a long time ago <laughs> anyway um, and there wasn't anything available. Nobody had made the candy pen. No, it, there was like this thing in 1898 or something that was similar, but it was far enough away. I found um, a patent attorney in downtown Salt Lake City. I got my dad to help pay for part of it. I took a thousand, like nine hundred ninety-eight dollars. He wanted fourteen hundred dollars or something, and I was the obnoxious kid who didn't leave the office <laughs> until like, he came out in my paper bag, and I gave him the money, <laughs> you know. And then I was expecting him to call me in two days. Of course, you know. <laughs> and so I figured he way, stole huh? the money. Six <laughs> months later, he calls me back and says, "There's nothing like that out there. Do you want to put something together?" Wow. And I have an investor, right? Wow, true really? Story. Yeah, a true story. The patent attorney had an investor. He for had you. an investor, and so I was like, "Great, let's do it." So I'm talking to my dad, and my dad's well saying, well, I don't know, how are we going to do CPA. that? He's a CPA. <laughs> you know, I'll give you $300, and we'll get these drawings drawn up, which are the ones behind me. Yeah. I've got a whole bunch of them just like that. And so they're, you know, to size and whatever. And so the, there's like a pen at the very bottom, and then there's a space for the little reservoir of ink. Yes. And then above that are kind of like these Lifesaver candies. I and see then that. on top of that is a piece of bubble gum. Oh, that's what that is. All yes. right, it's uh -huh. a piece of bubble gum. So when you chew on the pan, blah blah blah. All right, here we go. So that we had all these done up, and then this was back in the day when you could get on a bus in Salt Lake City for about a dime. And my dad, my parting words to my father were: Demand fifty-one percent of the company. If they offer you any money, get fifty-one percent of the company. Okay. I'm fifteen years old. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know? What, yeah. What do you know? I'm a stupid kid. Anyway. So I end up uh, getting on the bus, driving, taking the bus down to downtown Salt Lake City. We lived out in the suburbs. We go downtown Salt Lake City, and I meet him at the Salt Lake City Library. This and investor? Yes. Yes. His name was William Beers. I'll never forget this. I'm 15 years old. William Beers comes in. He's probably 50, very round man in a suit, 
you know, dress professionally. Uh, yeah, this like, was 1979, <laughs> people, where you could actually do that and really be okay. And my mom and dad had no concerns and about doing that. And they weren't with you? They were not with me. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Isn't that a crazy story? So I end up going and meeting William Beers. And William Beers uh, says, I know your patent attorney. His name was Ayers, like John Ayers or something like that. Um, and I, I said, well, here's my ID. And I talked to him about it. He said, I love this idea. I have $100,000 in cash. In 78, those were like a million bucks. Sure. I didn't know that. Sure. I figured that would be like, that was nothing. I yeah, didn't know anything okay. about the concept of what conceptual of content, money. what that was. Okay. And I'm there by myself. How dumb is that? How dumb? Anyway, <laughs> just so dumb. Anyway, so, and he says, I'll give you $100,000. We have, you know, supply chains and we have manufacturing and I've already talked to your attorney about this and, and let's go ahead and do it. And I said, well, you know, my dad said I should get 51% of the company. And William Beers looked at me and said, young man, you are 15 years old. There's no way I'm going to give you 51% of the company. I'll take 51%. You take 49. You continue going to high school. You get 49. Yeah, it seems reasonable. <laughs> because I'm not sure you should run that company. Really? Yeah. But, but as a 15-year-old, you know. Yeah. You whatever. Were like, and your dad had told you. And 51. my dad told me, and he, I kept on coming, but my dad said, but my dad said, and he just said, well, I'm not going to give you any money if, if I don't have control over the company because I need control of the company. And I just saw him saying control of the company, meaning I'm going to get nothing, and he was going to have everything. And he said, you get 49%. Yeah, that's kind of a right? good, that's a really good deal. That's a good deal. Mm -hmm. So what does Christopher do? You walked away. I said, I'll get back to you, and I'm going to find someone who's going to invest in the company and give me 51%. Okay. All right. It was a great learning opportunity. Yes. You know why? Because it didn't go anywhere. Because it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> I haven't a, seen the candy pen. A massive failure. Mm -hmm. So in 78, there was really nothing out there. About, eight, about 83, 84 is you started seeing all sorts of confectionery mechanical devices. Yes, yes. And if you go into a 7-Eleven or a Maverick or whatever, these things are being produced. Wow. They're and, being produced. But and I, you missed I lost it. the opportunity. But, yeah. But the thing is, life is an opportunity versus missed opportunity. And we have to figure out how to innovate and create ourselves from the opportunities that we miss out on. Yeah. As opposed to having regret. Very good point. Because you could just sense? beat yourself up about that. It could have ruined your whole life. Because you could have been a millionaire with the candy pen. <laughs> And here you are talking to me. <laughs> yeah, but but the, that that entrepreneurial idea was in my mind yeah. from a very young age. It, clearly. And yeah. and so I didn't really beat myself up about it. And and in, in my belief is that I am where I need to be. I am where I'm finding happiness, as opposed to being, you know, I know lots of people who have lots of money who build big businesses, but they're not very happy people. Really? It's true. You know, I wouldn't have been happy just running a candy company somewhere, you know, Willy Wonka or something like that. I, I don't think that would have been my thing because uh, I see there's a lot of loneliness there um, for a lot of people. Not everybody, but for a lot of people. And what in my, in my neck of the woods as a therapist is I really enjoy my job. I don't really have a J-O-B. I have a, what's called a career. And a career means facets of ideas and new ideas and innovations and doing new things and trying new things 
having failures, having successes, you know, and being able to maneuver in life as opposed to just getting stuck. Being stuck is terrifying to me. So when you're talking about this, it's making me think about, you know, the business owners or the wannabe business owners who may be listening to this show. Mm -hmm. Do you, and obviously we're not going to talk about anybody specifically, but sure. have you had clients who were business owners? What challenges do you see that business owners specifically are facing if there are any? Well, I, I see a lot of business owners being really afraid, especially now after COVID. You know, there's some stimulus money out there. They've seen their businesses fall, fall apart, especially anything in the food industry. Yeah, there's probably a lot of anxiety There's a lot right of anxiety, now. a mm -hmm. lot of fear. Um, and, and part of that is, is to be looking at, looking at the complications of the problems differently, not, not basically looking at it through the lens of fear. If you look at it through the lens of fear, it's going to create uh, reactions, shame-based reactions of fight, flight, or freeze. And most people go into uh, flight or freeze. Some people come out fighting. And my, my thinking is, is to learn how to change irrational thinking around those shame-based reactions of fight, flight, and freeze, and to be looking for the opportunity. What is the opportunity of COVID? To say there's no opportunity is really radically not true. You know, one of the, when, when COVID first came out, and uh, I was talking to my wife and I, you know, they were talking about wearing masks and you couldn't get a mask anywhere in town. I said, you know what, we need to invest and, and get a mask company now. I was thinking about this back in April. She's like, no, we don't have to do that. It was just too much. I mean, it's just yeah, one more kind thing. Yeah, that's kind of a lot, right? That's one that more moment. thing to, to do <laughs> on top of everything we do. So, so it really, but, it, but, but that's creating an opportunity based on, on a deficit. So, so when, you're, when you're thinking about your business, is, is to be thinking about where's the hole? Where are the holes that other people are not seeing? If you're caught up in fight, flight, or freeze, and your body is constantly anxious and worried, you're not sleeping very well. Producing that cortisol, just cortisol, pumping it up, yeah. Yeah, gaining weight and feeling sluggish and not having energy and not exercising and not eating healthy. If you're, if you're doing all of that and, and getting stuck in that, you're going to lose sight of what you want. And so I think that it's important to have uh, your values down, something I call uh, VIP, Values, Integrity, and Principles. And so Jack Canfield talked about that back in his book, The Success Principles, in 2005. Uh, and I really enjoy that because, because VIP is, is significant in business as it is in personal life. And VIP means you write down your goals of where you're going. Who are you? Where are you going right now? What is your anticipa anticipatory goal that you want to see happen? How are you envisioning that? How are you creating that on the daily, especially before you go to bed and in the morning? Yeah, you know, that really setting up those systems. Setting that, that system up. To succeed. And you're writing that value. Let me finish this thought real quick. You're writing these primary values that you have, and then you have to reverse engineer them by breaking them down into the basic components. And the biggest, most significant part of that is that you have uh, a faith, hope, and belief that you can accomplish it. Uh, so it's, it's, I am so happy and grateful for. I am so happy and I'm grateful for the opportunity to create this, to have X amount of dollars, to have you know, X thing in your life, whatever, if it's gonna be a car, if it's gonna be a house, if it's gonna be a partner, you know, if it's gonna be something. But you create that crystal clear vision inside of yourself 
And that's what your, your brain is going to find. And the reason why is because your brain doesn't want to be insane. It will look for the venues and the avenues in order to innovate and create that thing that you put in front of yourself. Even though it hasn't, hasn't manifested itself yet, does that make sense? Yeah. Because the world has to line up to what mm -hmm. you're looking for. It's not going to show but up that day. But you're manifesting it, and so then your your world kind of aligns. Your world will align because your brain will look for. Yeah. It you, you will find what you whatever you focus on is what you find. Yeah, it's very if true. People are focused on anger, anxiety, and depression. It's That's amazing what. how often it shows up. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> well, it's like that old analogy when you're going to buy a white car, and then that's all you see is white cars exactly. all over the place. Exactly. So you know, I listen to you, and this all sounds very grounded and I think about leadership books and stuff it's all you know all those principles are mm -hmm. absolutely in there mm -hmm. but when it comes right down to us as business owners or human beings and we talk about receiving therapy going to a therapist there's this stigma around actually getting help like you know in this type of a setting and so how do you help people get past that stigma of feeling like it's a weakness or whatever the persona, you know, whatever their, the perception is of them receiving help to be able to sort through some of these things because these principles are not woo-woo, brainwashy kind of stuff. It's the same stuff we're reading in leadership books, but yet sitting here having this conversation with a therapist is terrifying. So how do you get people to embrace that? Um, in, in section two of my book, I talk about facing fear. And so... Fear is false evidence appearing real. And so we have to learn how to lean into what we're afraid of in order to find out it's not so scary. Uh, so coming into a therapist is, is scary. And the problem is, is a lot of times people get out there and kick some tires with therapists and find out either they know more than the therapist does or the therapist doesn't really understand them or where they're going or the therapist has a certain skill set that is really based in the past and present and they're really not understanding the growth or where a person wants to go. And so I'm focused more on the growth uh, because that's how I live my own life. Whereas a lot of therapists kind of live the life based on what they were trained to do in school or trained to do based on the mentorship of being in mental health. And that's, there's a limited scope there. So I, can, I consider myself to be a weirdo, just so you know, because I live outside <laughs> the scope of that. And other people who are looking to learn how to to be more innovative and creative in the future is they have to face that fear of the thing that they're scared of most. So is it okay to kind of interview your therapist? Absolutely. Yeah. I give a one-hour free consult, come in, ask a thousand questions, you know, because I, I, I can't be everything for everyone. Yeah, it needs to be the right sense? fit. It mm -hmm. has to be the right fit. And so if people come in and ask me questions, I, you know, I don't mind doing that on the phone or if they want to come in the office and bump you know, elbows, because we can't <laughs> shake hands anymore. Yes, yes, right? yes, yes. And, uh, uh, yeah, and I, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of therapists won't do that, and I think if a therapist won't do that for you, it's probably not the right match. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good um, sifting It's thing. a tool yeah. to measure. Thank you. It's a measurement tool, yeah. Okay, so you talked a little bit about your book. Tell me about what is the title of your book that you published, and who's the audience? Um, I was published by Aviva out of New York in 2011, and the name of my book is Navigating Your Mind, Achieving a Life of Peace, Joy, and Happiness. Okay. And so that book is really about how life is lost in our lives. We've had complications and difficulties in childhood, 
in marriage, adolescence, whatever it may be. Um, and how a lot of times when we try and reach out and tell people how we think, feel, and believe, uh, mom, dad, maybe God, or significant other, is that a lot of times those people don't necessarily understand how we feel. And so we pull inside of ourselves and we internalize a lot of uh, fear of relationships, not feeling safe in relationships, and not having trust in relationships. And that creates disconnection. So we present to the outside world what they want to see, and inside of us is a world that no one knows about. But the world inside of self is really made up of a lot of hurt and sadness, loss, grief, unresolved grief, feelings of abandonment and rejection, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, um, a lot of uh, frustration and embarrassment. And the embarrassment keeps everything locked up in what I call emotional constipation. And so people act out emotional constipation with aggression, passive aggressiveness or stonewalling, being very passive or being manipulative. So their expression of pain by being angry with the outside world as opposed to learning how to be assertive and stand up for how they think, feel, and believe with confidence that other people are going to hear. Or if they can't hear, as we need to find people who can hear. I call that finding our tribe. And uh, sometimes our tribe is our family, but a lot of times it's not. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. just reality. Yeah. Uh, because personalities are always personalities, and there's a lot of them in our families. But when we're not understood, it creates a lot of anxiety. So there's neurochemical changes inside of our brains that create the feelings of anxiety, the feelings of fear, the feelings of anxiety. And those feelings of anxiety, irritability, lack, loss of sleep, you know, feeling anxious and a lot of attention inside, we don't necessarily talk about it, and that creates depression. And depression is irritability, all those same symptoms. Yeah, right. You know, not sleeping very well, all that same stuff, lack, loss of interest, sometimes feeling suicidal, you know, sometimes feeling like life isn't really worth being here anymore. Uh, and that's, those are common things based on not being able to have connection or closeness to people that we want to be loved by. And so sometimes people feel a little suicidal, but a lot of times they'll come back around and just shame themselves. And so their negative chatterbox is firing off inside all these negative thoughts and beliefs about they have We're about really themselves good about that, yeah. And interjections mm -hmm. of themselves. And people get frustrated with that. And so we do what we've been taught to do best in the United States of America, and that is to make someone else rich by making ourselves poor. Uh, and that is by being addicted to something. And so when we find something we to be addicted to. We turn to some chemical or, some, or food or whatever. Something to change our neurochemistry inside of our brain to take us away from feeling bad. Mm -hmm. And so most often it's going to come down to sex, pornography, sex, alcohol, drugs, music, uh, eating disorders, overeating, undereating, anorexia, bulimia, controlled eating, uh, lying, cheating, stealing, trying to be perfect, embezzling money. You know, you name it, it's yeah, right. out there. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. And people will find these things, and so they'll get a bit of a dopamine high yeah, by being an addict to whatever that thing may yeah. be. But on the it's downside of that dopamine high is the shame and the guilt, and then people want to go back and do it again and come back and up and down, up and down, mm -hmm. up and down. And that cycle it gets really old after a while. So in your book, you explain this. I so go this, all through all uh, This yep. book is not for other providers. It's for anybody who might be suffering with... Um, mindset issues anger anxiety depression loneliness worthlessness helplessness uh, yes and I would say that's probably almost everybody but my main demographic is going to be 14 year old people to about 40 year old people maybe 45 and the reason why is and they're usually moms usually women and the, and the reason why is because women have a tendency to understand these things more they're the ones who are looking for the answers of these things uh, whereas a lot of men walk around with a lot of shame 
and they have to be stoic and tough all the time. Yeah. And women are They're more not going to deal with it. Uh -huh. And also, women are the ones who are making the decision for their adolescent kids who are looking for treatment because a lot of times those are the kids. You start to act this stuff out when you're a teenager. Yeah. And then we, they just get better at it when they get older. Well, it's fascinating to me when you say 14. I think that is such a pivotal age. When I, I worked at um, the regional medical center and oversaw the behavioral health, yeah. The majority of our adolescents were right in that age, 13, 14, 15. It's That's just right. that time when your brain is all <clears throat> messed up on you anyway, right. and you don't have a frontal lobe, and you're making decisions that are affecting the rest of your life. And yeah, it's, uh, it's fascinating. So I do really appreciate the conversation, especially around shame, because so many of us have been conditioned by that. And it's not like, you know, I don't think that it was intentionally done by our parents or whoever society because that's just the way that it was mm -hmm. but we you know like Maya Angelou says once you know better you do better and I think that's where we're at in society is we got to do better especially around shame well I think that we're more shame aware than we ever have been based on all of the writings and Brene Brown. Stories. Brene Brown <laughs> I love Brene Brown I think she does a great job me too uh, the the uh, the thing is with 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 understanding shame is we can understand uh, why wait? What 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 we have inside of our mind that stops us? Um, but but our parents did the best that they knew how. Absolutely. And and, their and parents, I did the best that I knew how. You yeah. know, as parents, we just do the best we can. But you got to realize that your your grandparents and parents came from World War One, World War Two, you know, Korea, uh, Vietnam. People are coming home in body bags, and so body bags creates a different perception of yeah. what's important. And to sit around talking about emotions wasn't necessarily oh, it when your no. son's coming home in a body bag, mm -hmm. you know, or your dad is coming home in a body bag. These are radically different ideas. So we live in a, in a, in a softer time mm -hmm. based on not having those types of stressors. We have stressors, but they're more, they're more fantasy-based stressors, like I didn't get enough likes on my Instagram page, as opposed to my son is coming home in a body bag. There's radically different perspectives about stress. Yeah. Right? And so we have to imagine stress more now than we having factual stress. Interesting. Because so, we certainly f believe we're feeling stress. Because the fantasy stress is a delusion inside of our mind. We are creating it based on what we allow ourselves to think, mm -hmm. what we allow ourselves to believe. And so we can our be a belief, pretty dramatic bunch. Our belief creates our thoughts, that creates our feelings, that creates our outcomes. Yeah, and our actions. And our yeah. actions. That's mm -hmm. correct. Yeah. So most people will believe... You know, I have to have 145 Instagram likes in order to have value. This is a true story. I talk to kids about it all the time. And if I don't get 100, if I get 143 likes instead of 145 likes, I'm worthless. That is a delusion. It's a delusion. Whereas a factual, measurable, you know, outcome from something bad happening, you know, falling like, off your bike mm -hmm. or you know, something really matter-of-fact happening that creates that stress, uh, that, that, that we didn't have to invent stress back then. It was more understandable. Well, tell me a little bit about um, you. Uh, you are a podcaster. You've started a podcast. So what's your platform, and what's your vision for that podcast? Well, I, I really want to be informative to people and giving them hope in a time when people feel so much hopelessness. Um, and, What's and the name of the podcast? The name of the podcast is What We Don't Know. Okay. 
what we don't know, or no, what we don't talk about. Okay. It's changed. It's morphed. It'll probably morph again. Yeah, what we don't talk about. What we don't talk about. Um, and, and that really came down from the idea of the complexities of what's happening at, at BYUI um, on a, a variety of different topics um, that came from uh, a young lady by the name of Kara Steinman who called me up and asked me to start a podcast with her. And she's a senior social work uh, in the social work program at BYU. And she was wanting to talk about the complexities of, of going to school there. And, um, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Because as a therapist in the therapist arena, is we see uh, some really good outcomes with people, but we see some really bad outcomes uh, within the culture of the LDS culture. And, and my belief about it is, is it comes down to education. You know, a lot of times we just don't do very good education um, uh, around like human sexuality or boundaries, knowing how, when to say yes and when to say no, uh, empowering women, um, and for women to, to not have to just take whatever comes their way, and for women to know how to uh, help their children to be more empowered, um, and uh, those types of ideas. And so I really talk about strong female uh helping females, helping women, and teenage girls how to be very strong, independent people, as opposed to people who are always giving in to the demands of the outside sources. Because mm -hmm. the outside sources do not have women in, in mind in order for them to be valued. Uh, outside sources are, you know, sometimes mom, dad, God, religion, but it's also going to come down to business, it's going to come down to exploitation, sexism, misogyny, and other complications within the scope of being a woman. And for women, I, I don't think that it's going to be the best thing to do is to sit back and just take it. My, my belief about it is to stand up for what you believe in, and what your values are. Hang on to your VIP, values, integrity, and principles. So if you have your values written down and you act based on your own independent integrity and you're practicing daily principles in order to create those values, is you can create a life that's going to be innovative and creative, that's full of happiness and joy and finding your own tribe, really. Because I have the, these outcomes all day long. People create these outcomes of happiness mm -hmm. and joy with boundaries, that are, with healthy sexuality and with healthy relationship as opposed to the other side. Because a lot of times I see in practice is people who have compromised uh, uh, situations where they have been you know, beaten, abandoned, abused, and, and have a tremendous amount of trauma and loss. And so how to be able to help people overcome that is for them to do the opposite. Yeah, right. Move on. And, and it's still part of your life. You don't, you just learn how to make it a part of your life and not against you. Well, yeah, it, it, it could be a part of your life. And my belief is it's about letting it go so it's not a rudder anymore. And that you have, a, you're a pilot of your own person in, in order to, ha to be, become your best self. And that is learning uh, the process of forgiveness with boundaries. So I hear you, and I, you know, clearly you are very um, mature and evolved in a lot of your thinking. But when you started business, however long ago, <laughs> did you have a sense of any of that fear or doubt or self, you know, uh, self doubt around whether you could do this or not? And how did you overcome it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I had an anxiety disorder when I was a kid, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, uh, and anxiety was always always uh, an, an issue. And so when I got into school, I started learning um, how to overcome that. 
And then I started reading a lot of business books and business business talks about how to overcome anxiety. Uh, so part of that, I think the number one thing is taking 100% responsibility for how you think, how you feel, what you put in your body, what you do on a daily basis, you know, and that you're innovating, creating your life based on being responsible for yourself. Uh, so learning cognitive behavioral techniques is so important because we have to learn how to get rid of our stinky thinking in order to be able to have happy, healthy thinking. And again, what we focus on is what we find. So is that what you did? Like, yeah, where you did a lot of self-improvement, it sounds oh, yeah. like. You were just oh, looking yeah. for your own, yeah. how to improve that and, and overcome it yourself. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm a huge person on facing fear. Uh, so one of my big fears was uh, skydiving. Skydiving, yikes. Still a fear uh, for yeah. me. So I've gone sky, skydiving a bunch of times. And my wife has too, and so all of our kids, as soon as they turn 18, that's a requirement to graduate out of the Walton House. Wow. So This is why I was not born in the house. <laughs> <laughs> and not all of them have taken me up on the deal. Uh, but that is a family skydiving day. Uh, we haven't done it this year. We just had a daughter who just graduated IF High School, and we can't go skydiving because of COVID. Yeah, uh, so going to have to wait on she's that. She's been begging and pleading to go. Because um, she wants know. that rite of passage, huh? Yeah, she yeah. wants that rite of passage, but she's also okay getting on a dirt bike, and you know she's a dancer. She's a little more she's risk. Done a lot of uh -huh. scary stuff. Because once you face your fear, there's so much less to be afraid of, and when you're not so afraid, you can really start to become what you want to be. And that's the same with coming into therapy. You're talking about how to overcome, you know, therapy. I think coming in and kicking some tires and asking you just gotta try tough it. questions. Yeah, yeah, just do it, guys. you find out that it's going to be okay. Yeah, you can move yourself forward. Yeah. Well, what advice would you have for anyone considering self-employment? Uh, again, I, I think it's going to come down to making sure that you're doing it for the right reasons and that you, you, have, you have an idea, and no matter what, you're not going to give up on your idea. You really, truly believe in what you're going to do. Um, because there are ups and downs in business. Some days are, are great, you have great months, and sometimes you have bad months, but you're still coming back with that belief as I can do this. And so having the confidence to do it, the belief in self to do it, the having support from other people, a spouse, having support from, because you can't, you can't do this life by yourself, uh, I don't think anyway, not to create something amazing. Uh, a lot of people who want to do it by themselves are doing it for the wrong reasons. And so by having uh, an innovative, creative partner, partnership, or, uh, or employees who believe in your vision um, and that you're stating your vision is that it gives something for, something for people to follow that gets them excited, that gets them motivated to want to follow that vision. Um, and, and I think that's where really good companies are, are started from with a, a really a strong belief that they can do it. Yeah, I think you're. I think so too. And as I listen to you, I think what I'm hearing so much of is we have got to figure out who our authentic self is yes. and then live our authentic lives and find the tribe that fits into that. And if we're weirdos, so what? That's just <laughs> who we are. And it's okay to be us. And I, I really appreciate yeah. that. I think um, so many of us run from who we really are for too many years. And so... Well, you know, Christopher, it's been so great to talk to you. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners today before I let you go? Well, let me talk about authentic self for a minute. Okay. Is authentic self is, it's important that you know your authentic self 
that your tribe understands your authentic self enough, not perfectly, but enough. Um, but you realize that the, the world does not care about your authentic self. You know what? There's a lot of complications that you're going to see on the news that everybody's upset about something and everybody's complaining about something else. Uh, and, and those things are there to create a lot of anxiety. Uh, when you're in your authentic self, you don't have anxiety. Uh, and when you find your tribe of people, uh, they're going to understand and want to have and motivation to have understanding of your authentic self. But you're not always going to be understood perfectly. It's just not, I, I don't think it's really possible. And so one of the things that I, I talk a lot about is, and write about in my book, is uh, uh, to overcome uh, deep problems that you can't necessarily get fixed from other people. It's something I call the walk in the wilderness with God. And what that means is that you're, you're taking your pains and your problems and your situations uh, beyond therapy, because uh, sometimes you come into therapy, you can't really get it all worked out here. Uh, and so taking the walk in the wilderness with God is a, a concept of, of picking a place that you feel safe. Um, uh, going there by yourself with no phone, no uh, distraction, no radio, and you're contemplating the thing that you're stressed out, usually about the past. You know, what, what has you upset about the past that you can't let go of? Um, because of, of fear or shame or whatever the case may be. Um, and then you find a place to start walking and talking about how you think, feel, and believe about that situation. And you need to be out there for six hours. The first two hours you're out there, it's like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done in my entire life. The next two hours you're out there, it's like, oh, this isn't so bad. And the last two hours when the miracle happens. And, and that really is about relief of that really, the strain and the stress and the difficulties we've had in life as we're talking and processing and turning over to God the thing that we cannot get out of us. And I believe that that is a statement of I forgive and I let go. I forgive and I let go. So you're thinking about the things that are stressing you out or the people, whoever they may be. I forgive you, I let go of you. I forgive you, I let go of you. And what's interesting when we do this is that we have a release, a relief, because we're changing our neurochemistry, neurobiology, something called brain neuroplasticity. I write about this in my book. You change your thinking, you change that process, and your brain starts to think a little bit differently about things. And I'm also a believer in God, that God comes in, the Spirit of God comes in, and cleanses us of that suffering. And what that does is give us new light and new direction in our lives. Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome. Great advice and, and um, wisdom. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time today and for your advice on how to get, navigate life and business for those of us who are navigating business. I think it's so important for business owners or anyone to be conscientious about how they're feeling about their situations and how they're navigating them and for them to have the courage to seek help when life feels a little overwhelming and we just need a little guidance. So yeah. thank you for your words today. Yeah, you're welcome. I appreciate you being on the show. Well, thank you. As a reminder, this show is sponsored by Oswald Service and Repair with locations in Idaho Falls and Rexburg. If you're looking for automotive repair provided with honesty and integrity, you need to come and see us and let our family take care of your family. Now stay tuned for the Business Leadership Moment. It's now time for a Business Leadership Moment on East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast. Hi guys, thank you for joining me for the Business Leadership Moment. This segment is brought to you by RiseCon. RiseCon is East Idaho Business Conference held every November. And they also have a monthly sister event called RiseX. RiseX is doing some amazing things. Check these guys out. 
at www.risex.io or risecon.com. And don't forget that Rise is spelled with a Z. And I hope to see you guys at the next event. Hey, today I want to talk to you about beliefs. So Christopher kind of, you know, talked a little bit about that in the interview. Um, But it really struck me about how our beliefs shape everything. And I think if you really think about this, um, reality might be one way. The world may be a certain way, but because of how we were raised or what we've been exposed to or experienced, we may have certain beliefs about some things that others have very contrary beliefs about it the same very the same topic and the fact hasn't changed the thing itself is the same but the way that we all look at it come we come with our own life experiences to every situation and our own beliefs well our beliefs absolutely shape our choices and create our behavior and then that's where we become leaders. So I just want to talk to you about how if we take the opportunity to really look at our beliefs, we can maybe see how our leadership is structured around what our beliefs are and how that's hindering us or how that's helping us. And if we want to be better leaders, Perhaps we need to really look at the things, the beliefs that are hindering us and really create some beliefs that will help us and strengthen those. Maybe they're already formed beliefs we don't have to create, but beliefs that we need to work harder at so that we can accomplish our goal. So let me just back up a little bit. I want to I give you an example of this. I'm sure that as I say the name Roger Bannister, you guys, some of you absolutely know who that is. But for those of you who need a little reminder, he is the gentleman that broke the four-minute mile. So for years, it was believed that the human body could not withstand the exertion and the output that it would take to break that four-minute mile. Scientists, physicians, people were saying, if you did this, if you actually ran the, if you move the human body pushed it to the level that it would break that four-minute mile mark, your heart would explode. That was actually the science that they believed in at the time. And um, thankfully, Roger Bannister didn't necessarily believe in that. And he believed that his body could accomplish something greater than what it was. And he was the first gentleman who broke the four-minute mile um, running. Now, it wasn't long after Roger broke this that other people started to break it. So isn't it interesting how once we change our minds about something, and this specific example is such a great one, because once people change their minds about the fact that you the human body could run a four-minute mile, they started doing it. Now, their potential was there all the time. But they believed that they couldn't do it. And so, you know, it didn't happen. They believed their heart was going to explode when they did it. And they saw that didn't happen and they changed their minds. And so it's also a great example of how you can change your mind about something and accomplish great things. So love that story. Thank you to Robert, Robert, 
Roger Bannister and all that he accomplished with that. And that great example of how we can change our minds and change our beliefs. So I I, I know um, we all have stories about our youth, I'm sure, that helped to shape our beliefs. But I want to share one with you guys When about myself. When I was probably between third and fourth grade, I think in third grade, I got glasses because I could not see the chalkboard. And um, so I got glasses. And I was at the time too young to really manage contact lenses. And so we put me in glasses and my mom was so cute because she's like, you know, what, what kind of glasses do you want? Well, I want the transition lenses that went, you know, like to, to sunglasses when I was outside and clear when I was inside. And at the time it was really vogue to like put your initials on things. And so on my glasses in the little corner, I had my initials in that on them. And um, I thought I was, you know, as cool as you can be being in glasses. Well, at the same time, I, perms were in, right? So I had this perm. So I had this puffy hair that in the 70s, late 70s, there weren't early 80s, whatever, whenever it was, there weren't great products to put on a big poof of hair. So I just basically went to school with this big poofy perm every single day. So you can imagine, here I am, this awkward um, grade school kid in glasses and big poofy hair. And we also um, raised golden retrievers and they were show dogs. So my dad and my uncle would take these dogs to dog shows. Yes, my youth was at dog shows. And they would show these dogs. And so we really loved our dogs and I really loved our golden retrievers. So this one day I got this great shirt and it was, you know, one of those cool t-shirts from the that are kind of, you know, that 70s vibe with the trim that was a v-neck with the trim on the neck that was a different color than the white t-shirt and then the trim on the sleeves was the different color and then the graphic on the front of this t-shirt was a picture face picture of a golden retriever because of course I was so proud of that and again having your name on stuff was so cool that on the right upper corner of this t-shirt I had my name in block letters that they you know ironed on Renee so here I am going to school thinking I'm just the coolest thing because I have this the best t-shirt on with the coolest dogs ever. My name is on it. I've got the transition lenses with the initials on the glasses. I'm looking good with my poofy hair. And um, as you may know where this story is going to go, I had some relentless kids tease me to death about this. For one, they kind of picked on me around my shirt because it, it had this dog on it. And the funniest thing to say was, is that the dog's name? Is the dog's name Renee? And so in my little kid brain, I was like, well, I'm not a dog and I don't want you to be calling me a dog. And um, I was insecure anyway because I had gone through, you know, I had this, these glasses and just life when you're a kid at that age. And so I remember that vividly. I remember being teased. I remember that I never wore that shirt again because I was embarrassed and it was my favorite shirt. Um, and maybe some of you guys can relate to that. But the belief I went, maybe not the dog with the, maybe not the shirt with the dog picture, but something like it. The belief I went away with here was that I'm a dog. People don't like me. 
they, you know, think I'm ugly. They think I'm stupid. All the things that, um, my little kid brain could not necessarily process. Um, you know, the funny thing is, and isn't this the way that things happen as well? One of the kids that was the most relentless in teasing me that day was, um, maybe two grades later revealed that he had this major crush on me and was my first kiss. So isn't it funny how that works out? Um, but it did leave me with this belief that I was less than, um, added to some insecurities that I already had. And, you know, I took that stuff into my adulthood. Um, lots of things happened between then and now, obviously, but there were some things that were shaped then that I still believed. And maybe some of you can relate to that, how stuff in your youth has definitely shaped the belief in in yourself, maybe a coach or a teacher, or somebody said something to you that has stuck with you that has become a limiting belief in your adulthood. Now, here I am. I'm an adult, right? And I think about that and I still kind of get those twinges of, oh, you know, I suck. But thankfully, in my adult brain, I can put that all into context and realize that kids are like that and tease and whatnot. And I really am not defined by the graphic on my t-shirt and my securities, my my insecurities have left me and, you know, I'm a pretty pretty confident adult, but it took me some time to get to that place. So, you know, think about these stories and how maybe in your own life you have had beliefs that have been shaped by whatever thing, right, wrong, good, bad, and different, whatever, and how they have brought been brought into your adulthood and how they are impacting your leadership. You know, it might be beliefs around money, um, in your business that you're, you can't make money because money is a sin or money has some negative connotation. Um, it might just, it might be beliefs about your own personal worth or value or whatever it might be. It's hard to look in the mirror and realize when we have limiting beliefs, but I want you to see how you, your beliefs help shape the things that you want to achieve. And so identifying what belief is hindering the things that you want to achieve is a huge step forward. It's a very difficult one because it's a belief. It's a thing that we have had in our entrenched in our DNA practically. And so you might have to have somebody tell you, you might need an outside perspective and say, you know, what's a limiting belief that you see in me? I did this a while back and people told me, you know, what I said is, what's something that you believe I'm underplaying, that I'm not using enough of? And I had some great feedback from people. I've shared it on a previous business leadership moment. So that's a powerful exercise to ask somebody else, what do you think a limiting belief of mine is? And then also identify the beliefs that are helping you achieve what you want to and strengthen those. Do more of those. Really focus on those. So There are a lot of different ways that you can go about looking at and teasing out your beliefs. Obviously, visiting somebody like Christopher is a great way to have this third party that gives you some perspective. But I wanted to just visit with you today and have you think about your own beliefs and how they are shaping your behaviors and what you are accomplishing, good, bad, right, wrong, whatever. Basically, in your business and in your leadership, are you attaining what you want to? 
what is holding you back? And how can you kind of reprogram that thinking, change your mind, just like we all did around the four-minute mile, so that you can achieve your goals? All right, guys, I hope that this has given you a little bit of food for thought. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I am having a blast interviewing the guests that I have and learning from them, growing, changing my own mind. So have a great week, and we I've got another amazing episode for you next week. So we'll see you back here then. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Oswald Service and Repair. For all your car care needs in eastern Idaho, let our family take care of yours. www.oswaldserviceinc.com.